think it's only right that we do. You think of the sacrifice that people have made on our behalf in order for us to have the freedom that we have, the mentioned already that the political freedom, the, the freedom that we have to worship as we do. Um, and so I think it's only right that we remember, um, remember them, honor them. And I think a great way to honor them is doing what we're doing this morning, and that is to worship the Lord in that freedom. But I think also we have a responsibility, we're going to be talking about it this morning, we have a responsibility as those who have experienced not only political freedom, but also spiritual freedom, more importantly, spiritual freedom. We have a responsibility, because of that freedom, to operate in such a way that um, brings that freedom to other people, that shows that freedom to other people, that draws people to Christ to experience that ultimate freedom. And, and that's kind of a word for me that I think of when I think about the United States, and even when I watch that video, um, you know, I, I think sacrifice is a word that comes to mind, but also that word freedom comes to mind. When you think about Christianity, um, and just in your own mind, your own heart, what's a word that you would think of when it comes to Christianity? For me, I think of the word forgiveness. That the forgiveness is a, um, a crucial part of what it means to be a Christian. To, that's how we we're able to become Christians, followers of Christ, and that is receiving God's forgiveness. But that's something that we should pass on to others. And turn to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to finish up our parable series. We're going to start in verse 21, go to the, uh, verse 35. It's another parable that Jesus has. And um, this issue of forgiveness is kind of a, a difficult topic to talk about. Uh, if, if you've lived any length of life, if you've had any kind of friends uh, and family in your life, you know that forgiveness can run the gamut when it comes to issues in a person's life, but it always deals with emotion. It's very personal, and, and so for, forgiveness is a difficult topic to talk about because it's wrapped up in, oftentimes in pain and, and hurt, and it's very personal. But forgiveness is a foundational truth within our Christian faith. And um, Jesus talks about that here in this parable that we're going to look at this morning. The context of the parable is uh, Peter has asked Jesus, uh, how many times should I forgive a brother or another follower of Christ? So he's kind of narrowing in. He's not really talking about unbelievers, but he's talking about those who are believers, those who are followers of Christ. How often should I Forgive them. Now, I don't know if he's talking about another one of the disciples. You know, and if you know anything about the Gospels and read through there, the disciples, they had some, you know, interchange between them. It wasn't maybe always the, the most, you know, they weren't frolicking throughout Jerusalem, you know, with Jesus as Jesus hovered across the ground, right? So we've seen the movies, you know, Jesus kind of does one of these. And it's as if he doesn't even moving. Well, you know, these guys aren't the the seven dwarfs running behind them. You know, they're real people, right? So I don't know if he's talking about disciples. I don't know if he's asking for a friend, you know. Um, but Peter, he suggests, well, maybe I should forgive him seven times. So someone sins against me, and I forgive him. He sins against me again, I forgive him seven times. Now, that's pretty good, because the Pharisees said that you only had to forgive somebody three times. If they offended you the fourth time, you don't have to forgive them. So that's what, 
That's what the Pharisees were saying. But Peter was kind of going over and above that. Jesus' response, and we'll read it, is, and I'll, I'll help you out that might be struggling with uh, you know, multiplication. He says 490 times. So you can kind of see the conversation he's having with Peter. Peter's like, hey, um, yeah, I'm thinking maybe seven times. And Jesus is like, 490. You need to forgive him 490 times. Now, I think we all get the understanding there that Jesus was basically saying that you continue to forgive. They offend you. They do something against you. You continue to forgive. That's why he uses that large number. Well, hopefully you're at that uh, mark of Matthew 18, verse 21. And uh, it's page 7 or 978 if you're using the Pew Bible, but I would encourage you to grab one, have it in front of you. It'll be in the big screen, but I think it's always good for us to have our face in the Bible. So uh, go ahead and turn there if you're not there already. All right, it says this, And Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That's why I said I did the multiplication there for you. Some of you guys were like, thank you for doing that. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. So Jesus now is going to go from what he taught, say, okay, let me just give you an illustration here. Let me kind of lay this out for you in a story form, and let me give you what that looks like in real life. When he had begun to settle them, these accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Just wiped it away. Then the Lord of that, okay, so, I'm sorry, verse 27, 28, but that's, the slave went out, so here's his response, but a slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. A little bit over the top, right? You know, Okay, you might be saying, hey, you owe me this, give me the money, but to go choke the guy seems a little bit over the top, which is kind of interesting how this is Jesus talking, giving us an understanding of what God thinks of unforgiveness, and it's a, you know, a little bit maybe over the top that we're not willing to forgive. So his fellow slave, like slave number one did, fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers, until he should repay all that was owed. And Jesus finishes up, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I read that, and it makes me a little bit nervous to teach on this. 
All right, this is uh, kind of a scary, some scary words that Jesus brings to our attention. So let's, let's kind of work through this and um, and see what Jesus has for us. So first of all, we have the parts of the parable. So every week that I've taught, anyways, we've been doing what are the parts of the parable. All right, so. Here they are. Uh, for some of you over here, you can't see. I'll have to read it for you. Um, I'm going to fix that for next week. So I, the drum cage here is kind of in the way for people over here. So part, I apologize, and we'll fix it. The kingdom of heaven, what is that? Well, that's what the kingdom of God looks like on this side of heaven. So for today, it's, what, it's the church. We call the church the kingdom of heaven in that sense. So it's all those who have come to Christ all those who are involved in church, they may or may not be followers of Christ. We talked about that in previous parables. Um, but that's, so here, this side of heaven, this is what's supposed to be happening within the church amongst followers of Christ, Christians. The king is God. The debt is sin, or you know, things that people have done against us. Right? Uh, slaves are those are the ones who profess to follow Jesus. So again, the, the focus here is pretty narrow. It's on the church, but it has ramifications for outside the church as well. And then torturers. Um, <laughs> what is that? So God tortures us. Seems kind of scary. Well, we'll look more at this, but it's the emotional and spiritual consequences one experiences for failing to forgive. And, you know, we're all, I think can be honest with ourselves, and maybe we've been in that situation where we haven't forgiven, and we know kind of what he's talking about there, uh, the emotional side of things and the spiritual side of things. So what's the profound truth in this parable? It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. It's this, Christians are to forgive others, especially other Christians, because they understand how much God has forgiven them. He's not saying that we don't have to forgive non-Christians. Okay, so don't walk out of here going, woohoo! If somebody at work who's not a Christian offends me, I don't have to forgive them. All right, he's not, he's, not, he's not talking about that. He's just kind of being real specific here within the church. And, and here's the, the ramifications for that. Um, Jesus talks a lot about how the interaction between his followers sends a message outside of the followers to those who are not, and that message confirms or not whether Jesus is from God. He says that in John 15 or 17. Um, that our unity, for instance, and our love for each other, how we respond to each other, impacts how unbelievers view who he is and whether he is God or not. And so we have to be very good as Christians to be able to forgive each other. And what, but what typically happens is we don't forgive, we get around unbelievers, and we'll actually voice our frustration with another Christian. And what does that say to the non-believer? You know, here, here within the church, Christians are supposed to be able to forgive. Unbelievers understand that. But oftentimes, our willingness to, un, to not forgive doesn't just stay with us and that person. It goes outside and people outside the church. And so we need to get it right here in our church with us, amongst us Christians. So Jesus gives us some reminders, three of them that we're going to look at this morning from this parable. And I'm sure there's others that we could have pulled out, but I'm just pulling out three. And the first one is this. God has forgiven Christians. I'm going to give you a very um, deep theological word here. Okay, very technical. All right, you ready for it? 
a lot. Okay? God has forgiven Christians, we who have put our faith in Christ, God has forgiven a massive amount of sin. And if we don't get that, if we don't understand that, then we're not going to get this whole thing of why I should forgive somebody else, especially a brother or sister in Christ. But it's a massive amount that he's forgiven us. The slave, or the servant, and again, back in the first century, slaves were a little bit different than what we might be thinking of when we think of slaves. These were people that typically were indentured. They, they put themselves into servanthood. And so this person put himself under the king's responsibility. He was pretty high up um, because evidently he was given money. Uh, and maybe the king, you know, he doesn't really know who's taking what money, but he's taking some of the king's money and he's putting it towards businesses. Okay? So he's trying to build up his king's kingdom, trying to build up his influence, build up the power he has, build up his money. But he didn't do very well. <laughs> okay? he, he, was, he owed, he lost basically 10,000 talents that were the king's. But he lost them as he tried to build up the kingdom. So what does that look like? What's 10,000 talents? And there's a bunch of different ways you can illustrate this. I, I, I read a couple. For, so for instance, Back in the day, back in this time, four regions around Jerusalem, four large regions, counties, whatever you want to call them, they would take in to the Roman um, tax collector, they would take in 900 talents a year. So it would take those four regions around Israel over 11 years to come up with 10,000 talents. One guy owned that, owed that much. All right. I don't know what the population was of those four, but that's a massive amount of money. It would be greater than $10 million today. The word myrias, uh, the 10,000 is the word myrias, where we get our word myriad from. And it's the largest number in the Greek language, and it basically represents, it's incountable. You, you can't count. And so Jesus' point, of course, is this guy had to pay back amount of money that even though he said, please have patience with me, I'll pay it back, there was no way this guy was able to pay it back. And so our sin, what Jesus is saying is, our sin, our debt towards God, is just as massive, is just as huge, just as uh, unable to pay back. But, so what is sin? So I thought maybe it would be good for us to be reminded, kind of a foundational truth here, what is sin? So I remember, anybody been in Awana growing up? A couple of you, all right? Yeah, some of you. So they, they always said, uh, sin is anything I think, say, or do that God does not like. All right? So um, anything we think, say, or do that God says, don't do. All right? So we're really good at that, right? We know what the do's and don'ts are, and, right? But also, and anything we don't think, say, or do that God says, do. I was going to say, do, do. But then Greg would laugh and we'd have been, we wouldn't have been able to. So, what God says, do. All right? So, we, we, we understand the commission of sin, but a lot of times we, we don't understand the omission of sin. In other words, things that we should have done that we didn't do. Okay? Um, so, let's just look at the two greatest commands 
that God has given us. And that is love God and love others. All right? So loving God, loving others. All right? So, anytime I think something wrong about God, anytime I say God doesn't care, I've sinned. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's a sin, unfortunately, that I confess on a regular basis. I have a very negative way of looking at things. And so there's times where I'm finding myself praying about something, and in my heart I'm thinking, I'm not even sure God cares about this. God cares about it. I need to confess that sin. That was wrong thinking. Think about the number of times. I'm not, oh, you guys are going, I came to church for this. <laughs> it's okay. It'll, it'll, well, I'm not sure if it gets better. But anyways, we'll, we'll try to make it better. You know. But think of the number of times that you've had a thought about God that was not accurate. That's sin. Straightforward. Boom. Sin. I step on some toes on this one. Think about the number of times you've thought or said or wrote down or texted, OMG, oh my God, or that GD when you slammed your finger, or JC when you heard of something that was crazy. That's using the Lord's name in vain. That's sin. See how easy it is to roll up a massive amount of sin on our behalf? I had another one here, but I'm not sure if I should use it. About failing to spend time with them. Failing to sit down and open his word and have him speak to you about what he wants you to know for that day and to have a conversation in return about what you're reading and take him with you through the day. Well, how about loving others? Have you thought or said something about your spouse that was not nice, not right, not accurate? We have thoughts, we have actions, we have words, we have attitudes. And when I sin against a brother or a sister, when I sin against Kim or my kids, or when I sin against a coworker, or when I have an attitude issue about so-and-so, whatever it is, when I have that, I'm not only sinning against that person, but I'm also sinning against God. That doubles the amount of sin. Guys, we have a massive amount of sin. It just multiplies, and it's exponential. And again, we have to understand we have to understand that reality because if it wasn't for the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God, we would be sitting under a weight of sin that we could not deal with. We could not handle or function. And so we need that reality check to live out this next reminder. And the next reminder is what we've been talking about. God expects Christians to forgive others. So the question is, what does it mean to forgive? And I, I think we've kind of confused this issue. Because some people would say, well, um, you need to forgive and forget. And then the person who's supposed to just says, well, I can't forget. (laughs) It's there. You know, I think about my life, you know, I think back in 
my years. I can think of people who have sinned against me, and I can still remember. But what do I do with that? See, God knows all things, so God doesn't forget our sin. He, he can't. All right? And we know by experience that it's very difficult to forget the sin that somebody has committed against us. So what does it mean to forgive? Well, a big definition out of Nelson's Bible Dictionary is the act of excusing or pardoning another in spite of his slights, shortcomings, and errors. The word itself means to send forth, forgive, forsake, and I like these, to lay aside or leave it be or let it alone. In other words, it's something that happened. It's almost like if you walk up on a rattlesnake, you know, you don't sit there and go, hmm, wonder what I should do. What you're going to do is start doing this, right? You're going to let it alone. You're not going to deal with it. And that's what we do when someone has sinned against us. We, we look at how much God has forgiven us, and in gratitude of that and, and, and his grace and his mercy, we say, you know, I'm not going to hold that against that person. I'm going to keep that as a grudge against that person. I'm not going to let that impact how I relate with that person, how I communicate with that person. So you make a conscious choice. It's a commitment of the heart based on what God has done to um, not hold that against a person. But like the slave number one, because we're hurt, because we're irritated, what we have a tendency to do is we say, I'm not going to forgive. And so what we end up doing is we put this barrier between me and the person that needs to be forgiven. Well, not only is there sin between us, but now I'm purposely putting up a barrier, and that doesn't give them a path that even if they wanted to make it right, just like this guy here wanted to make it right, it, there's no path for that to happen. And so we have to have a responsibility of ourselves to, to forgive the person, to not let it be a part of the relationship, kind of put it off to the side here, let it be, because if that person would come to us for forgiveness, there needs to be a pathway there. And if we're going to say, nope, not going to listen to it, well, now we've just put that person in a position where they cannot even make it right if they wanted to. And so gifting someone forgiveness removes the barrier, provides a pathway for the other person to make that step to us in order to make it right. See, it's, it's all about a restored relationship. Everything goes back to the gospel, okay? So it's all about restored relationship. God wants us to make sure that our relationships with other Christians are, are restored, are free, are, are working. It's, it's all about the gospel. God's forgiveness drew us to him so that we could receive that forgiveness. We saw what Christ did on the cross, and, and we knew God would forgive us, and that's what drew us to him then we need to be the people who people can be drawn to Christ through. Does that make sense? And so when we forgive, we open a door for them to see who God is, see how Christ forgives, and then how are we to respond. And that is to draw them, hopefully, into, if they're already a Christian, a deeper relationship with Christ, and if not, into a relationship with Christ for the first time. But I feel like I need to say this one thing, and that's this. We're commanded to forgive, but we're not commanded to trust. Okay, so listen carefully to this. There's a little bit of a, you got to catch this. We're commanded to love. We're commanded to forgive. 
Well, we're not commanded to trust. So how does that, how does that look? Well, it's this way. And I've you know, I spent a lot of time working through this with people in, in counseling sessions. So let's say there's a person in your life who has come to you for money. All right, since they're talking about money here, we'll talk about money. They've come to you for money, and they say, I'll pay you back. Number one, I've always been told, Judge Judy, by the way, awesome show to watch because she really brings clarity to this. She says, if you, I'm serious, she's really good. She says that if you borrow money to family, consider it a gift because you're never getting it back. Judge Judy speaks, I listen. She's awesome, I love her. I've talked to Kim about it, we're okay. So I can, I can have this love for Ju- So I walk into the house one day, and it's about 4 o'clock, and Kim's like, your girlfriend's on. <laughs> it's like, love that lady. Anyways, I'm getting off track. So anyways, so somebody loans you money, and then they don't pay you back. And so you, you, know, you kind of forgive them and say, okay, that's no problem. So then they come back to you, and they want more money, and you loan them more money. And they say, I'll pay you back. And they don't pay you back. Someone can find me being wrong here. Feel free. I, I don't sit there and continually give this person money. Right? That, that's not necessarily, especially depending on what they're you know, spending it on, that's not necessarily the most loving thing to do for a person. So you have to weigh trust and love and forgiveness all together. So yeah, forgive them, don't hold it against them, but if they come again for some money, I think the most loving thing you can do, because what is love? Looking out for the best of somebody else, no matter what it might cost you, right? What that person evidently is showing you is that they have an issue with money. So the most loving thing you can do is, hey, let me sit down and help you with your budget, or let me put you in touch with somebody who can help you with your budget. You have to have that conversation with somebody. If you truly love them, you have to have that conversation with somebody. Or maybe something that's far worse. Maybe it's an abusive relationship. Okay? And it can go either way. But one spouse is abusive to the other. One spouse isn't doing marriage God's way. In one aspect, you know, you have to take that, especially in the verbal sense. But... If it's physical, if it's verbal to the point of, you know, you just can't deal with it any longer, the most loving thing you can do is say, listen, I'm going to take a break from this relationship until you get help. Because that's the most loving thing you can do for that person. Okay? So Jesus is not saying here that we become floor mats for people. It's like Kim and I have had this conversation. It's not that you sit there and let somebody go, keep poking you in the eye. At some point, you put safety glasses on, right? I mean, you you follow me? So forgiveness has to happen. The relationship still needs to be there, but then we, who are the offended one, need to show our forgiveness by taking it a step further and saying, let me help you any way I can. And so, you know, I've had marriage counseling where I've, I've encouraged one of the other spouses, take the kids, go spend, you know, live some time with your family or find some place to go safe and say, until you get help, I'm not coming back until you can show me that you're getting help. I'm not coming back. And I think that's biblical. I think it's wise. Well, the last one is this, and it, it doesn't get any easier necessarily. 
The third reminder Jesus has for us, last one is this. And again, it's kind of a reality check Sunday, I guess we can call it. That God is angry when we sin. I think a lot of times you want to see God as um, this old man sitting on a chair, the, the happy grandpa who lets his kids do whatever he wants to do. And my grandfather, he let us do whatever we wanted to do when we got hurt, he laughed his head off. Um, he wasn't very compassionate that way. And I have to be honest, when I first started thinking about this, I was really kind of hesitant. You know, Lord, do I say this? You know, in this day and age, we're all kind of get upset when we find out that somebody might be angry with us. But God is angry with us. The, the king in the parable, Jesus is telling us, the king in the parable was angry with his slave, his servant, because his servant failed to properly represent the king, that's his job. He's a servant. He is on earth for the sake of the king. And he failed to represent the grace and the mercy and the kindness of the king when he went to his fellow slave. The king forgave $10 million. Basically put $10 million back in the guy's account. And he couldn't give up what was basically three months' salary is what the guy owed him. And it's not a few thousand dollars. Back then they made change per day. This guy was not owing too much. He could definitely paid it off if he wanted to. But throughout Scripture, God's described as being angry. He's, being, he's disappointed. He's grieved when we fail to do life his way, when we forgive, fail to forgive. And really, what, what good father isn't? Right? I mean, those of us here who are fathers and, and mothers as well, when our kids disobeyed us, I think we're okay to be angry with that, right? How we responded is another situation, but yeah, we're, they're representing us. They're our children. They're, they're supposed to be doing life the way we tell them to do it. And our God is a forgiving God. He's abundant in grace and mercy. And Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4. He says this, He's talking to Christians and how they're supposed to relate to Christians. He says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Remember that massive amount. Therefore, be what? Imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Too often we don't see our sin as a big deal, but to God, it's a big deal. If our obedience is a sweet aroma to God's nose, what does disobedience smell like? My guess is it would be just like when our kids have sinned against us. It's, it's not something we enjoy. It's not something that we want. It's not something that we're pleased with. And the same thing with God. In fact, he even calls the servant wicked. Why is he calling that? Because he's operating like somebody who is not a servant of the king. And when we operate outside of what it means to be a Christian, we're operating as a wicked person. We're operating as somebody who hasn't known forgiveness. And then he closes with this really 
strange phrase or verse. The Lord was moved, his Lord was moved with anger and threw him to the torturers. What does that mean? Well, first thing, it's not executioners, okay? There's something about these parables that everybody wants to go, oh, loss of salvation, okay? It's not talking about salvation in that sense, okay? He's, he's, uh, he didn't throw him to the executioners, he didn't kill him, he sent him to the torturers. And he sent him to the torturers so that he might repay what was owed. Well, it, it doesn't make sense for him to be thrown to the torturers to repay $10 million. Logically, because he's not working, right? He's being tortured. So he'd have to work, he'd have to do something to repay the $10 million, right? So what's he talking about here? What's Jesus talking about that, that in fact, that God will do the same to us? And, and it's, it's this. It's, our, it, it's the emotional spiritual pain or discomfort that comes from not obeying what God's called us to do. When we fail to forgive somebody, we experience discomfort, a sense of not being right with God, certainly not being right with our brother or sister. And so God allows us to sit in that he allows us to stew in that until we give what we owe him. And what we owe God is for me to forgive you, for you to forgive each other. That's what we owe because of what God has done for us. Warren Wiersbe in his book, Be Loyal, to, um, he says this, The worst prison in the world is the, is the prison of an unforgiving heart. Unforgiving people live to find ways to punish those who have hurt them but in the end, they only hurt themselves. And again, it's interesting that Jesus leaves the slave with the torturers. He doesn't resolve this issue. He just kind of lays it out there for us. And I think the reason for that is because it's decision time. Anybody who reads this, anybody who hears this today as we're listening to it, it puts us in a place where we have to make a decision. We have to take Jesus' challenge we have to look at our lives and say, do I understand what it is that God has forgiven me for? And if there's somebody in my life that I need to forgive, am I willing to do what God calls me to do? Am I willing to be a representative of God? Am I willing to imitate God and offer that person forgiveness and restore that relationship? Or am I going to sit in this prison of emotional and spiritual torture this morning, what I want to do is, as we close, I want to have a time of, of commitment, a time for you to just kind of think about what it is that, that Jesus has been talking about here, and how does that relate to you in your life, and, and for you to have a conversation between you and God. And we're going to do that around the communion table, because it's here, what this represents uh, is the forgiveness that we've received for our, that massive amount of sin that we have. We're going to do it a little bit differently, so let me kind of give you a little instruction. First, I'm going to have the band come up because I want them to be able to participate in communion. And I'm going to have them come up, and then after they're done and up here playing, then you can come up as, as you're led. And that is, just take the bread, dip it in the juice, take it, and then return to your seat. And then join in with the singing, okay? So, I'll, you know, sometimes I'll do some Bible reading in between. We're not going to do that. 
It's just you and the Lord having a conversation, making whatever commitment God's calling you to make, and then just coming up during the music. And there's four here, so you can just kind of spread out and do that. Okay. And so I'm going to um, ask the, the band to go ahead and come on up now. And then as they play, you all come up. sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin You made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and life began was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was broken. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested in life began. Oh, <laughs> 